we're going to be looking through Isaiah chapter 9 for the next four weeks. So if you, if you want to get ahead on that, uh, that famous passage we're going to be looking at. And I've been reading through it for, for weeks. And it's, it's always interesting that this prophecy that is given to, to, uh, to us as the people of God. And, and there's, there's some names that, that God is calling uh, his son. Names are a funny thing, man. When you... Um, when you're picking out baby names, you know, if you're not a parent yet, listen, if you're, or if, if you're, a, if you're a grandparent, I, I, names, I feel sorry for you grandparents because you get stuck with names you don't even get a hand in. Like you get called stuff, you know, and you hope you're going to get the, I watched our parents, like they were, they were, they were trying to push for certain names and then the boys landed on other names and, and then they, they just stick, you know, so heads up for all you future grandparents, just, it's, just take what you get and don't pitch a fit, right? And then, uh, and, and, and that's how that works. But, but when it comes to picking out baby names, baby names, if, if you're going to have kids one day, baby names are a weird time in, in your life because names carry a associations, right? I think Michelle and I spent more time talking about what names we didn't want or what names could not. If it was a girl or a boy, we were asking like, well, you know, well, I know we can't have this guy. I had no, you know, no, 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 no bobs because I had a bad Bob in my, you know, you know, that, you know, no, no, this name, that was a bad coach, bad experience, you know, I can't, can't have, names carry associations, right? And so you have all these different names and God bless you right now if your name is Karen because... <laughs> Man, I don't know how that happened, but I don't think Karen had anything to do with that. If you, you know, but man, if you're Karen, you are, man, listen, you're a good person. I just want you to know if you're Karen, we, we, we love you. And uh, some, uh, some people that aren't on social are like, what's that? Karen, what's wrong with Karen? You know, you'll find, just Google Karen, right? Actually, maybe you, maybe you shouldn't <laughs> Google Karens, but man, names carry, carry weight, right? And and so Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 7, this is what is told um, about who the Lord is. It says, but there will be, verse 1, no more gloom for her who is in anguish. Talking about Israel, for her who is in anguish, the people of God. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt but later he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You, you shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence and with the gladness of harvest. As with men who rejoice when they divide the spoil... He's prophesying about who Jesus is going to be and what he's going to do. It says, for you shall break, verse 4, you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors as, with, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son... Who will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. We're going to call these next four weeks Christmas in his name. There's four, there's four words right there that you've read this morning about the names that's given to Jesus, right? Now, in this verse in Isaiah uh, that we just read, go back to that verse in Isaiah 9. It says, a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, names are, names are different in the Bible, and you need to know that. Like, um, I was actually, when I first became a Christian, I, I, I kind of wondered. I mean, I was just weeks into Jesus. The baptism, I was still dripping from the baptism waters. It hadn't been long. And I wondered, is my name in the Bible? And I looked it up, and it actually is. It's in Acts chapter 17. I was the guy. Jason's are the guy that turned the house upside down. Uh, we, were, we were accused of turning the world upside down. I don't know if that's what that means yet, uh, but we, I'm, I'm in there. I made it to the canon, so I felt good, right? Um, but names in the Bible are a little different. We, we name people names for, you know, maybe, I love names. I love, why, why'd you name your son that? Or when you hear these cool family names from time to time, especially middle names. Middle names often have a, a sometimes even in America, middle names have a little more of a story than, than, than the first name is, you know. We, we named our boys, uh, when we named Cole, we, uh, we wanted a, a, a kind of an older name, a, a more of a rugged name. So I Googled up uh, 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 census reports of, of the cowboy era. Uh, cowboy names, uh, uh, I think I Googled up authentic cowboy names, and uh, that was in the top 10, and Cole sounded good, so we took that one. And, and so my boys are named Jonathan, Jonathan Cole and Tucker David because Jonathan and David had a covenant, and you've maybe heard me tell that story, so that when they fight, I always get to tell them about how they were joined in covenant, and they're not allowed to fight for too long, and they, they hate that story now, and that's one of the things that, that I've learned about names. Be careful, you know, because then they, they may not like the Bible character that you love so much. Um, but wonderful counselor is one of the names. Now, here's the thing, though. Jesus is talked about. You hear this verse all the time in Matthew. Jesus is talked about in Matthew chapter 1. Go to that prophecy. It says, Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, that, that name, Emmanuel, is about what Jesus is going to do. Okay, so don't, don't, don't forget that. Don't overlook that. Emmanuel is God with us. That's what Jesus is going to do. But wonderful counselor, the names in Isaiah are not what Jesus is going to do. It's who God is. And that's different. You see, this is about what Jesus will do. He will walk among us. But in, in Isaiah, those four descriptors of God reveal his nature. And we're going to break that down for the next four weeks. We're going to break down the actual, the names reveal the nature. And that's very true in the Bible. The names always, almost always, I would say, almost always reveal the nature. So let's, let's ask the question then, why counselor? That's the question. That's the first question I had. Of all, of all the names they, that Jesus could have been labeled with, why counselor? It's a little different. You know, you, it, there's a reason for that, though. 
And, and it says he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. And I'm, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this down for you a little bit of, of understanding. When you look at the idea of counsel, when you look it up and when you see the, the history behind it, it I, I would start out by telling you, I believe the first reason that he is called Wonderful Counselor is because his counsel is all-knowing. Okay, his counsel is all-knowing, meaning he, 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 he's perfect in his counsel. See, you need to know this morning that you serve a God who is fully sovereign. There's never a time that God is in need, ever. He doesn't need anything. He is not cash deficient. He is not emotionally needy. God never says, oops, aren't you glad? Right? God, God doesn't need anything. Jesus was going to walk onto the planet, and he was going to do it in perfection. And so his counsel that he offers, notice, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, the government will rest on his shoulders. He's telling you that there is coming a child. There's a prophecy. That's com there's coming one to us who will settle the score. Perfection was going to be needed, though, you see. His counsel is all-knowing. There's a big, you know, uh, seminary word, you know, omniscient. He's all-knowing. God knows the, the future in the present all the time. So you don't have to worry about what's coming your way. He's already reconciled it, and you need to rest in that. In fact, I, you've heard me talk about Agreements that I have all the time that, that kind of align my mindset to the mind of Christ, and one of those is, is about sovereignty. I am protected by God's sovereignty. I tell myself that all the time. I am protected by God's sovereignty. God is sovereign over my life. In his counsel, he is perfect. And onto the scene was going to walk the perfect one. And that perfect one was going to do something for the people because, because perfection was going to be needed. It was actually going to be needed because the condition of the people would demand it. Because it says right there, if you look, if you look in the verse 2, the, it says the people who walk, he's talking about the people of God, right? All of us, and he's talking about Jews and Gentiles there too, and we don't have time to get into all that. But in verse 2, he says the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Darkness comes to those who are in the fog. Jesus walked onto a scene where it was dark and he made it light. I, I got a friend named Todd, and, uh, and my buddy Todd had, uh, they, had uh, they had a few children, and, uh, and two of them have, have eyesight issues. And, and I asked him one time, I said, you know, how does that work out? And they were just young, and, and they have some pretty significant eyesight issues that they were born with. And, and he said, you know, um, and as the eyesight was starting to get a little better with some, lots of corrective, uh, a lot of corrective procedures, he said, one of the things that I've, I've noticed is their confidence is getting better. And I thought, well, that's it. Well, I, I wouldn't have put that together. Like, why confidence with eyesight? And he said, and, and I said, that's, that's really cool, but like, I, I would have... I would have just not thought about emotional and spiritual confidence coming from eyesight. He said, well, think about it. When you can't see, everything's a threat. When you can't, when you can't see good, you don't really know where you're at. Your, your bearings are off. You, you see, the, your bearings get off when you're in the dark. And the people of God were in the dark. In fact, it, the, the darkness can make things convoluted. The darkness can make things foggy. It can make even things, I've been in some pretty dark places uh, physically. You know, I've spent 
nine nights in the Arctic Circle one time, and let me tell you, that's dark, buddy. There's, there, there's not the glow of a city anywhere, and you literally cannot see at all, ever, like no hand in front of your face, you can't see. It, the darkness can be disorienting, and, it, and, and I think it disoriented the people of God because what they were looking for and what they thought they needed was not what they actually needed. What they wanted was a political savior. You see, what, what the Jews wanted, what the people of God wanted, was they wanted somebody to come in and kill all the Romans. All right? They wanted them dead. They, they had taken over the country. They wanted the Romans out. They wanted, they wanted a military king. And that's what they wanted, but it wasn't what they needed. Because their biggest problem wasn't politics. Their biggest problem was their own personal sin. Politics comes and goes. Politics is helpful but it's not eternal. Their biggest problem was they needed a savior to deliver them out of the darkness and God knew that, he knew it, and he was gonna be a personal savior. But you gotta understand, in order for the light to become darkness, darkness, you've heard me say before, darkness doesn't self-correct. Darkness doesn't help itself out. If it's dark, it's always dark. It's gonna stay dark until a catalyst comes into the situation. There had to be a proactive catalyst launched into a situation that was dark. It was never going to self-correct. And so Jesus initiated the light. So when that child was born, I've always, saw, I've always looked at my mind in Christmas. I've always seen Christmas as, as a catalyst. Uh, it, it's, it's a launcher. Christmas is a place where, where God injected his presence into a dark world. So that, for that to happen... It was going to have to be on God to do it. They needed a healer, not an emperor. And that's what they needed personally, and it's what they needed corporately. So his, his counsel is all-knowing, right? But there's a verse there. Did you notice that in the very beginning of that phrase in verse 1 and 2, it said, there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. And their, their, their gloom will be increased to gladness. You go from gloom to gladness. How does that happen? Somebody has to change that. And that's what the catalyst did, is Jesus brought light. He, he took their gloom. He took their disoriented nature. He took what they thought they needed versus what they wanted. And he took it and he turned it into gladness. He was a healer. They needed a healer and they needed it really bad. He was going to unite the nations. He really was. But that was secondary to his main cause, his main cause was to provide counsel for his people on how to be born again. But here's the question I ask myself. Why? Right? Why? Why would he do that? What would cause Jesus to be called Wonderful Counselor? Why would he offer counsel? Why would he be willing to give it? I mean, if God doesn't need anything, and if he's all-sufficient, and if he's all-knowing, and he's all-present, and he doesn't need us for anything, well, there's got to be another motivator. And I think that motivator was his love for his people. He loved his creation. And he wanted his creation to, to be united with him. God with us. He was going to walk into the scene and walk onto the scene. And so I would say to you another truth is that his counsel is all sufficient for redemption. Redemption is what they needed. He's all-knowing as a counselor, but he's also all-sufficient. His counsel wasn't just spiritual constructs for the sake of making them smarter people. He was going to give them counsel on the way out of all of this. You see, you don't 
You don't counsel a people toward redemption if you don't love them. God doesn't offer you his son. He doesn't offer you a path out of darkness into light that isn't just based in love. That's the truth of why Jesus walked onto the scene. I think there's a verse in in, in chapter 9 that we often overlook, and it's the very, very last part of verse 7. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. We tend to read, because we got all these wonderful metaphors for, for wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. We even write songs about it. But we skip right over sometimes the last part of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You know what that zeal goes back to in its fruit nature is jealousy. It goes back to even the early days when God said, I am a jealous God. Meaning, I want, I want my people close. I, I don't, his, his closeness matters. His counsel's always been close. So when he tells you the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this, it's, tell, it, it's, it's kind of a clue that, that he's doing it out of his great passion for the people that, that, that he has lost. They have gone their own way. Isaiah would make another prophecy. Isaiah had a keen insight into the heart of God. And he would make another prophecy in later chapters as to why we would need a wonderful counselor to provide the way out. Why we would need a God that took the initiative on his own to share his love. It's for, it's for Isaiah 53. Look at what he says in this famous prophecy. But he was pierced uh, through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging or by his stripes or by his beatings, we are healed. All of us, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And see, that's what sin does. What sin does is when, when, we, when we choose to sin against God, it's not that we commit these vile acts. Sometimes that happens. But what sin is in its most, most true nature is sin is defiance. It is saying, I don't want the authority of God on my life. I, I don't want the authority of God on, on my decisions. I, I want to rule my own life. And so that's how the darkness comes because God has always been a God who's been willing to let you have your own way, if you haven't noticed. In the garden, Adam and Eve wanted their own way. He said, okay, you can have it, but it's not free. If you want to govern your own life, friend, you can, but there's a price to pay for that, and that is darkness. You will get the, I've always said, I believe when you decide to self-govern, you will get the best you have to offer. Think about that. You'll get the best you have to offer. But his counsel is a counsel of closeness, and his counsel comes in close, and he walks onto the scene, Emmanuel, God with us. He walks onto the scene because he is Emmanuel, and he is the Prince of Peace, and he is the wonderful counselor. And it says, we have gone astray in our own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. He chose to counsel close, and I think that's why he's called wonderful counselor, because he doesn't counsel from a distance. And I'm going to show that to you, right? I want to do something I don't often do. I'm going to, I want to break something down and go, go, go a little bit more into the weeds on something to show you just how thorough his counsel is. So it starts with this. All right, I, now, I, look, I, I'm not a good writer with a digital pen, okay? These stylus things make me look like I'm back in the first grade, okay? But I wrote this out 
so that you can, because there is a progression here, and I want you to see it. There's a prophecy that a son will be given to us, all right? And he's going to be called counselor. So first it starts with that prophecy. And then it moves later on in time. Go to the next one. It shows that, that there will be a, a, a res, what I would call a resident rabbi. That is that he's going to be Emmanuel. He's going to walk with us. And it's both tangible and it's temporary though. So the wonder, so, so stay with it. First of all, the counselor has told us he's coming. And then he does come. But, it's, but he's, he's temporary, but he's also tangible. God with us means you could... You could touch him. You could walk right up to him. You could, you could actually walk right up to him. And, and a rabbi is what? A teacher. A rabbi is a teacher, counselor, somebody to show you the way. Jesus was called the rabbi. He was actually the resident rabbi. The, the first chapter of John says that he will make his dwelling. It, literally, he will pitch his tent among us. He will make his camp among the people. So he was told that that was going to happen, and then it does happen. And then uh, further on down the line, we have the Holy Spirit. Go to the third one. It's what I would call the intangible indweller. You move from the temporary tangible to the intangible indweller. And, and that intangible indweller, what's he called in John chapter 14? He's called the counselor, the advocate. You see the progression? He's called the advocate. That internal counselor. And Jesus actually said, boy, if you want to know about the nature of the Holy Spirit, you should read John 14, John 15, and John 16. Those three chapters will tell you a lot about the very nature of what the Holy Spirit, what he does and how he operates. And, and one of the things that I love, 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 I think about this all the time, is that this, the Holy Spirit, is that, that's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that Holy Spirit, it, it says that God will disclose himself to us. Let me tell you something. You have an active relationship with that intangible indweller. It's one of the first signs of salvation is that I knew that something had changed in me because my thoughts changed, and I didn't have the power to change them. I remember several people that I went to high school with that I hated, and I don't mean that in a metaphoric sense. I mean, I didn't want anything bad to happen to them but I didn't really care. And I remember all of a sudden I could have compassion on people, and I knew I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't move from compassion on my, to, to compassion on my own. The Bible says that Christ in me is the hope of glory, right? He's called the counselor, and that's the stage we're at right now. We're in that intangible indweller. It went from the prophecy to the temporary tangible to the intangible indweller, and then it actually goes one more step. It tells us that, that there will be a time among, in the future that God will be both tangible and permanent. That he, he says, I will walk among you. See, his counsel, now when you see all that laid out in front of you, do you see that his counsel has always been up close? It's never been from a distance. God stepped onto the scene. He stepped onto the scene to be that tangible source. Christ in you is the hope of glory, right? And that intangible indweller, he now gives you the power and the authority to do more than just survive God's people. He gives you the power to thrive. God hasn't just come into your life so that you can get by. 
He hasn't just come into, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't download. Do you realize that if you're in Christ, that the downloaded spirit of holy God is inside of you to reshape your mind, your thoughts, your desires, your appetites, and he didn't do all that. And go to the problem of the cross and go to the problem of the open, going into the grave and then coming out of the grave and then sending the Holy Spirit. He didn't do that just so you could limp through this world. He did that so that you could actually have the power of God now. In our culture today, it's very, it's very chic to be weak. And I'm telling you, no, it's not. In our weakness, he is made strong. That's true. But I can tell you right now, when I read the life of Jesus, and I've been reading hard the life of Jesus for the past year, I don't see a weak Savior. I see a line of Judah that came in to set the thing straight, and he now lives in me. And I don't just have to take what the world gives me. I can actually thrive, not just survive. But that comes at his doing to walk among us. His counsel is up close. And so watch this. Look at, look at this. Go to the next one. Look, so look what happened. Start on the left and go to the right. Start on the left. There was a prophecy that, that, that he was going to give us a counselor, and that was delivered as promised. He was prophesied to walk among us, and that was delivered as promised. And then he was, and then he, the counselor himself even told us, I'm going to send another counselor, and he's going to inhabit you, and that was delivered as promised. So don't you think that three out of four ain't bad? If he's done three, you think he's going to do four? Well, I'm betting my life on it. <laughs> he's going to go all the way. And he promised that among his people. I want you to look at what he says again about his up-closeness. It's always been in his heart. His heart has always been that his counsel was close. He walked among us, not from a distance. Look at what says we have coming in our future. Revelation 21 says this. Behold, the tabernacle of God. This is in eternity. When, when it's all said and done, after the great white throne judgment, it says, Behold, the tabernacle, tabernacle of God is, is among them and the people. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more, no longer any more death, and there will no longer be any more mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. For unto us a child is born. And that's where it's going. It's going to that place. We are the people of God. We are his people. And even though sin broke the relationship and sin did what it did to fracture it, he came and injected his presence into the dark and turned the gloom from gladness to gladness. And, and he restored it and he gave us his presence to live it out. But there's coming a day when he will walk among us again as both permanent and up close. Tangible and permanent. We are his people and we cannot be stolen. We are his people, and he will walk among us, and you will have access to him, and you will be able to walk in the heavenlies and enjoy a restored relationship, because all along, he was all-knowing, and all along, he was all-sufficient for our redemption, and that is why he's called the Wonderful Counselor.
You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.